award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. It's going to be a fun show today. We got a, we're going to get a CWD update from uh, Chuck Yost and Dan Grove. Uh, Y'all have met them before. They've been on the show many times, and we're just glad to have them uh, to get an update on what's going on in the world of CWD and up there in wildlife. So Dan Grove is our TWRAUT wildlife veterinarian, and Chuck is our CWD coordinator for the state. So, guys, I'm thankful to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks uh, for having me. Should be a fun show. Just get a few updates and see where we stand on CWD. CWD. Uh, the country came out there. Then. CWD. <laughs> and uh, But first, I want to recap the deer season for you guys i don't Dan, i don't think you do a whole lot of hunting but you like to be outside what'd you get into this past uh winter and fall well in all honesty i spent most of my time working on cwd <laughs> working check stations and, and things like that and uh just just and trying to enjoy the outdoors when it wasn't raining there you go there you go and chuck I'm, i know you got your boy out in the woods a few days this year right yeah yeah i got to hunt a fair amount this time and my son and I harvested our first year together, so yeah, real, real excited about that. And I was nervous about, you know, how he might react to that and whether he'd enjoy it. And he just absolutely ate it up. So that's wonderful, awesome. yeah. So the the gunfire didn't scare him and all that kind of stuff, and he, he had fun with it then. Now, uh, quick funny story on that was, which I I put earphones on him to yeah. so that so he's not scared by the, the loud sound. But anyway, the 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 second deer I shot when I was with him, he actually had a BB gun with him. Mm-hmm. He he felt he needed that uh, to to be with him. And and I remember I shot the the deer and I I turned around and he was very upset in tears. And I it, I was alarmed by that and I thought, oh my goodness, what have what have I done? Is he scared? Is this gonna discourage him from hunting? And he looked up at me and he said, "Daddy, why didn't you let me shoot it?" <laughs> so then, that, so then I was faced with, "Well, how do I how do I deal with this uh, without discouraging him?" But anyway, I just said, "Well, son, your you know your gun just wouldn't shoot that far." So mm-hmm. anyway, so yeah, we had a great year. That's good. Fun. Yeah, that's fun. I'll tell one on on me. I, I got both my kids out. I got a, a, a eight year old and a five year old. We got out in the woods this year, and and uh, I missed a. A small buck, you know, trying to sit between them and a ground blind, and it was kind of <laughs> awkward a little bit. But anyway, it's, it was a fun season. They got to hear the gun go off and experience the hunt anyway. So yeah, well, good. It's good to get them out there. So no meat in the freezer for me this year. But yeah, you said you got you you got four this year. Yeah, He'll yeah, your one. I got I got four and just just ate some of that for lunch. All so, right, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Well, um, let's jump into um, uh, to the CWD update and what all's going on in in the world of CWD. Um, we're going to show some maps on the screen, so if you're listening, tune in, go watch the show. Uh, but um, positive locations, that that has changed. Some of those, uh, a county has changed uh, to positive, and some changed to high risk. And talk about the changes in the unit that's happened uh, over the this course of this season. Yeah, so it was a real eventful season. If, if you, you recall that, that we found CWD last December or December of 19, mm-hmm. or 18, rather, and and we only you know we we had very little of season left so the commission expanded the season so we could have some more harvest and sampling and and uh, w- that was a good effort however we had a really incomplete picture last year when the season ended or the previous season but so so the season that just ended 
uh, we had an intensive effort and our staff uh, worked their tails off and um, in, in in their sampling efforts and through those efforts we learned a lot over the la over the last year season we're a lot better informed about the status of CWD in our state and we um, it's great that we're better informed the the bad news is is that we have more positive counties because we we were looking there uh, more intently and in fact we found it so we're up mm -hmm. to seven positive counties now and four high-risk counties and just as a reminder the high-risk counties we haven't found it there but we found it within 10 miles of those counties and and uh, that warrants uh, special regulations for disease management okay um, Todd flip it to that next map so folks watching can see see those circles and kind of see how that those uh, high-risk counties come into play there uh, but um, so let's rattle them off, if you don't mind. Which ones are positive? Which ones are high risk? Take it away, Dan. Yeah, so last year uh, at the end of the season in 2018, uh, with the extended season into, into early 2019, Fayette and Hardeman were positive to start off with. And then in the early season this year, during after the early August hunt, as a result of looking at some clinical animals, um, we added uh, we added a couple of counties. We added Tipton, and then uh, the expansion a little bit further into Madison County. Um, but since the season, we've had Chester County added. We've also had Shelby County added, and then Haywood County has also been added as a county that has we've had positive detections in. And when you're looking at the map, that little pink or purplish line, however you see that color. Uh, that's a 10-mile buffer that we draw around an individual positive. And so what we're looking at right now with approximately all the counties involved in the in the whole area, we're looking at about 4,500 square miles or roughly 3 million acres within all those 10-mile buffers. And that's just here in the state of Tennessee because remember okay. that line does actually extend down into Mississippi, although we are um, seeing a lot more positive animals on the landscape than Mississippi is on their side of the border. And, and a lot of people ask us is, you know, what's Mississippi doing for sampling? Based on the sampling that we've done on both sides, the numbers of, of positives and the prevalence that we have, it's, it's pretty much the, the picture that we have right now is it, it, it's not just an artifact of, of one of us sampling more, them sampling less, or them sampling more and us sampling less. It's it's actually given us more of a, a good picture because we've been both states have been looking at it for for do, two good full hunting seasons at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to be specific to what the high risk counties are, those are Lauderdale, Crockett, Gibson, and McNary. Okay, so and then just recently, those changed just a little bit. Later in the season, we had a change. This map was updated on the on the sixteenth. Of January, so um, that's as up to date as we got right now. How many positives did we have this year, roughly? So for this deer season, we're so far, in which about all the results are in now at this point. There'll just be a few more trickle in, but we're just shy of five hundred. I believe it's four. 489. 489, yeah. Okay. So, it, but but it'll change by the end of the day as we get new results. So we could say it's going to be about around 500. And, you know, we had 186 last, well, during the 1819 uh, season. So the grand total being about 675. Okay. For the two years for combined, two-year two seasons, yeah. Yeah. And, and if folks, I may be putting you on the spot here, but if folks are um, haven't got their samples back yet, they can look for them to be back pretty soon, I guess. And, and how would somebody go about finding that sample? Just remind folks how they 
make to see if theirs was positive or not. Yeah, so we we communicate those results through through email or direct contact through phone, mm-hmm. uh, or if none of those are an option, then then they would get a mail out. But uh, you, you know, we can with the results, the final results coming in. You know, within a matter of weeks, everybody should know the outcomes, and you know that we've we sampled over fourteen thousand deer statewide uh this past year so it's been a been a very very large undertaking and mm-hmm. something that's you know is real successful for the agency so appreciate people's patience on getting those results you know there's the challenging thing about that turnaround time is there's only so much of it the agency can can control the bulk of the days or weeks that it takes to get those results um, is you know due to the processes at the labs that mm-hmm. that support us and they're not things that can be reduced or changed or streamlined so that's that's right. outside of our control however on our end where we can control things you know looking at where we were last year and where we are now we're so much quicker uh, than we were and there's some opportunities to refine that a little bit more uh, so so we we realize the the uh, inconvenience of having to wait on those and and wish we could cut it down even more and we'll do what we can but it's it's going to be an ongoing thing for folks to to have to wait some amount of time to get those results and we can i mean we had we had a, a delay in the weather and and the holidays kind of played a factor in some of our sampling efforts and one of the colleges or wherever the samples are sent to had some things that backed them up a little bit so luckily we were able to find another uh testing site and, and right. help us out a little bit so yeah well there was a gamut of challenges that came along this year one was a a, a blizzard yeah. in colorado right there you uh, go. that shut that lab down and then uh, yeah the holidays are a challenge because all those labs close and all the hunters are in the field and, right? and yeah and and nothing <laughs> progresses during that time and then the the sampling lab that we utilized uh, was overwhelmed this year because they got a higher volume of samples from other states that mm-hmm. they did not anticipate they knew what we were going to be send uh, we we pretty much predicted that exactly. However, uh, they had those other states sending samples in. They got behind, so we quickly started routing some samples down to a lab in Mississippi that really helped us out over the holidays. Because um, you know, I know I know people need those results quickly, and mm-hmm. and they helped us do that. Cool, that's good. Well, let's talk about uh, the incinerators. Uh, this year, we announced that there's going to be a, a big one put in. Um, in Fayette, right? Fayette County Landfill, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but there's also we've had some smaller ones that we've been using on a smaller uh, scale and been able to do some crematory or, or or incinerator work, you know, to to break down these these deer heads and other carcasses and things like mm-hmm. that. So talk a little bit about what we're doing with these incinerators, if you don't mind. Dan, take a stab at this, and then I'll follow up. Okay. Uh, Short version is, is we're dealing with a volume reduction issue, right? Because we've got a lot of carcasses that either hunters are generating, the heads from our surveillance program, uh, or the remnants from processors. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's concerns over uh, that material ending up in landfills and things like that. So incinerators are a good way to reduce that volume. Uh, Plus, if the incinerator reaches the right temperature, over 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, 
we can actually denature those prions that are causing the disease and render them inactive at that point in time. Okay, good. And so the incinerator programs are basically a way to design to reduce the volume as well as provide an alternative form of disposal for us. Um, the recommendation still through OFWA, the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, for best management practices for um, basically these kind of things we're talking about, heads and carcasses and, mm -hmm. and waste parts, is still burial and incineration are our two best options. And so we're basically just trying to expand that program and make, make more options available to us, uh, basically trying to manage the disease on our side of things. Processors who are very much involved in this, in this process, I think it's in that area, something like 60% of the people that hunt in, in those counties actually use a processor of some mm -hmm. sort, so they're a very vital part of this process. And provide them with a mechanism, because they can't operate if they can't get rid of their waste product. A lot of people don't think about that whenever you think about a business, but there's so many different parts to it that if one part doesn't work, then the business doesn't operate. And a huge one, whenever you're dealing with any food items, is to be able to get rid of your waste stream. And so these are, we basically entered into these kind of, uh, with these smaller incinerators, uh, one was donated, and Chuck can talk a little bit more about that. Um, and then one was actually purchased this year, and used them in a small, really small scale, just to experiment with and see how much fuel it's going to take, what's the feasibility of it, easy to clean out the ash, and and, and things like that. Um, you know, one of the unfortunate things with the smaller incinerators is they don't reach that 1,800 degrees, so you still have to do something with that ash to prevent those prions from being active in that ash. So those are the kind of things that we're trying to work out and figure out this year on a much smaller scale because there is there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of waste generated as, mm -hmm. as a result of, of hunting and hunting practices and things, as well as just doing the general surveillance and things like that. So uh, basically these are just mechanisms that we we have at our currently available to us to, to try and solve some of those problems. Awesome. Yeah. So tell us about this one. This is the new one. If you're watching, you can see see the, the, the ECO. I don't know what brand this is. I guess that's the brand. But anyway, how does that incinerator, incinerator work? Do you um, How's it fueled and, and what's the process? Yeah, so that we'll, is... We'll show more pictures. That is a, a portable unit. So it's on a trailer and it's, it's uh, permanently affixed to that trailer, but it can be moved around. However, we don't plan to, to move it around. We, we anticipate it staying right there or, or on that property. So what what's happening with that is is we I'm I'm gonna back up just a little bit sure, go ahead. And, and explain that burial or disposal of deer parts is a major component of C W D management because um these these carcasses if they if the deer had C W D they have infective uh, prions in the carcass, and mm -hmm. that could infect other animals. So, how these are managed on the landscape is very important, and 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 at a at a large scale, you need a, a good a good outlet for disposal to for it that to ha to occur uh, sanitarily or or well. Mm -hmm. or, uh, it's a best practice for disposal for disease control, and uh, we recommended at large scale uh, landfills. Well, unfortunately, we got a surprise uh, this past year, and there was a new policy by the privately owned landfills in Tennessee that they weren't comfortable accepting deer carcasses unless uh, they've been tested and, and they've shown not to have CWD. Well, because of the, the testing processes and the, the length of time that it takes to, to do that, it, it prevented us uh, precluded us from from being able to to dispose 
of deer carcasses at landfills. Mm. It just eliminated that as an option. And, you know, again, disposal is a big issue. A lot of these, you know, there's a lot of processors in this area, up to 20, and they, they have dumpsters that they put deer carcasses in yeah. for the unused parts. And, and there's, you know, these processors process, process thousands of deer. So it's a large issue. So in order to try to, to address uh, not having landfills any longer, we had to develop a plan, a short-term plan and a long-term plan to address this issue. The long-term plan is basically focused on a large-scale incinerator that will be at the Fayette County landfill. Our commission passed a $1 million grant to to allow uh, the, the Fayette County officials to to purchase one, uh, to, to have it installed, and then it'll be operational to hopefully help fill that void that the landfill policy caused. Now, that's one component. Now, this, this, this incinerator that you see here, I'm finally getting back to the portable sure, yeah. unit. What we're doing with that is, is we did a feasibility study to see if these smaller units, because they're more economical, and um, because they're portable, there's just a lot of convenience to these units as opposed to the large unit. And, and we want to see if we, across the uh, affected area, if we could have more processors and the agency, and maybe even taxidermists, utilizing these types of units at, at a large scale, then maybe we reduce the volume of carcasses that need to be disposed of. And yes, they won't, they won't be... Um, getting hot enough to destroy prions, but they reduce the material to ash. And then that ash could be, then be taken to the Fayette County landfill for final processing and denaturing. So I like it. So, it, and it's worked, uh, this first trial has worked for fairly well. That's a thousand pound capacity. It held about a hundred and... 120, 120 heads. deer heads, and those are heads that we got through our sampling program where hunters dropped them off and, and asked us to sample those for them, so we did. And uh, it reduces it down to ash. It, they're operated uh, primarily, well, you might as well say they're operated by diesel. This okay. unit is. Uh, propane's another way they can be, or natural gas, they can be powered. So pretty much that unit is entirely operated through diesel, through a diesel engine. And then um, there's also an electric generator that goes, or a gas generator that goes gotcha. along with it. But that's primarily it. Cool. Show some of the ash there, Todd, and see what it breaks it down to, and then we'll get back to some of those shots of the, the new, uh, the uh, one we uh, rehabbed and was donated. But anyway, that's how it breaks it down. Pretty. I mean, that's that's a big change from what you had, what you started with. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize through incineration, there's still chunks left. It's not just perfectly ash, you know, because there's dense parts of bone that no matter what temperature you reach, they don't just disintegrate kind of deal. Yeah. So there's little chunks, but primarily it's ash, and you're, mm -hmm. it's like a 1 to 20 volume reduction, approximately that, whenever you actually do put something through an incinerator. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, let's talk a little bit about the one that was, was donated and that we're, we're going to be using as well, and, and thank the folks that donated that. I don't remember who that was exactly, but uh, our, our folks helped get it here and everything, get it uh, to West Tennessee to be used. But Yeah, so you, you may have seen the picture Todd made take us back there of the the unit that's on the trailer, and they're, they're um, using heavy equipment to load and unload that unit. That's our staff. Uh, they uh, We were fortunate enough that former Commissioner Jeff McMillan he donated that unit to the agency, and uh, it was quite the effort to to get that unit to West Tennessee because it was in the Bristol area. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they 
Do you remember what the weight of that unit was? How many? These are roughly 8,000-pound units. Yeah, well, apparently the, this unit was much more than that because we were thinking that. <laughs> and I, I want to say that they, it was somewhere around uh, 12 tons or 10, something like that. But it was an amazingly... <laughs> Sounds I mean, like a fish story. Look, just look at the piece of equipment it took to, to put look. it on that unit and to yeah. safely transport it across the state. Uh, that took some serious expertise and, and mm-hmm. uh, equipment. So That's awesome. Thanks our, to our staff for making it happen. Our staff can do a lot. It's oh, amazing what our yeah. guys can do out there. They get things done when they need to. Okay, let's jump back a little bit about to the harvest. I kind of skipped over that. Um, the harvest was declining a little bit this year. Tell us why and tell us how hunters can help and, and what they need to be doing, and, and then we'll talk a little bit more about some of the stuff. Yeah, so I, I, I'll take a stab at describing how – how the harvest changed um, from last year's season and then maybe get Dan to shed some light on what, what that means uh, for CWD. So we saw an, uh, an overall decline in harvest across the state. Mm-hmm. So it's about a 10% decline. And, you know, we've been seeing a decline in the deer harvest over the last couple of years anyway. So it wasn't that surprising that, that we saw a decline. Now, if you look at the area outside of what we know is C- unit CWD. So we had about a 10% in decline there. But if you just look at the counties in unit CWD, and those are the ones that had the, the specialized hunting regulations for the first time this year, and there are all those southwest Tennessee counties that you saw there, or, or a subset of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had about a 30% decrease overall mm-hmm. in the harvest in those counties. And we had, we had a slight decrease excuse me in the uh, number of bucks harvested i believe that was around seven percent but we had a uh, 37 percent decrease in the doe harvest there now and that was specifically for fayette and hardman counties yeah yeah thanks for clearing that up it was around 30 percent for all the unit cwd counties but for the for the most impacted counties mm-hmm. hardman and fayette we refer to those as the core counties and uh, so we saw incre- a decrease in bucks, in- a decrease in does, and and then just an overall decrease. Now that's that's not a good situation. We we were hoping that in- that harvest would increase in in all those affected counties. That was maybe overly optimistic. You know, we we did we were hoping that it would increase. We we created new regulations to help with that plenty of opportunity yeah Yeah, they were great i think they were a great package of recommendations and i i think that it was just inevitable because you know this this is a lot to 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 come to to terms with for the hunters in that area there's new regulations that are complex they're kind of necessary evils Mm -hmm. uh, but but they're complex so people were unsure they're unsure about the safety concerns of the disease even though it's not known to infect humans so with all those things going into this deer season, I, I think people were just reluctant and unsure. So, you know, we've seen from other states that they'll they'll rebound, mm-hmm. they'll they'll get more confident and come to terms with the new norm and get more comfortable and hunt more and harvest more. So, it's unfortunate that that the harvest decrease. It was it was kind of anticipated, or actually we anticipated it. We were just hoping it wouldn't drop to this level, uh, but it did. So Dan kind of. Sh- as a as a wildlife health specialist, what does this mean? I mean, ultimately, when you stop and think about, there's aspects of this disease that are what we call density dependent. I mean, the more animals you have in the landscape, 
the more potential that you're going to come in contact with a, an infected animal, and that infected animal has that many more animals it can infect. So if we're not reducing the herd through hunting mechanisms, you know, and you've got a 37% less that you harvested this year, relative to, again, relative to last year's. So, right. Um, you know, and if you if you look at that and think about that many more does are on the landscape this year, and they're putting out that many more fawns, and so they're more likely to have you know twins mm -hmm. and triplets and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just one of those things where that many more animals on the landscape, you're going to have potentially that many more infected animals. You might see your prevalence grow as a result of the population growing too. You know, it's kind of it's 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 a very simplistic way to look at it because it's a very complicated issue. But ultimately, you got more animals on the landscape. There's a potential for more disease spread and for even further disease spread um, as a result of being more young bucks on the landscape potentially with a decreased buck harvest. Things like that where you start looking at that, those don't help with trying to, to manage and, and contain the disease by, by having more animals on the landscape. So so what what do we do then? We have Jason, we have to figure out ways to increase the harvest there. Mm -hmm. And if if you know, hunter harvest was not sufficient enough uh, to to improve things this past deer season. So that that harvest needs to be supplemented. So so we're trying to figure out the best way for that. Uh, okay. One one thing that we'll do is we'll we'll recommend new hunting regulations in April and May to our commission to try to improve these circumstances. We're going to try to incentivize hunters even more to harvest more. I've got some new ideas for that, and then uh, we've we're going to be working with landowners to try to get them to increase mm -hmm. uh, their harvest, and 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 some of that may happen. Uh, outside of your traditional seasons, so we're we're contemplating that. We're also considering these outlying areas of CWD. We call them sparks, but like the Madison County example, Haywood, right. Chester. If if uh, you know the prevalence is really low there, so there's there's probably probably just a few deer in that area that that are diseased. And if we could go in and target that group of deer and harvest those deer then at least temporarily we put out that problem or we we take that problem out right. or away so so we are considering uh, doing that in partnership with landowners and uh, these are programs that 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 we're considering we're not sure uh, if we'll, if we'll take these steps but it the, but there are options for us and they will certainly increase uh, the number harvested which would be a good thing for for this disease yeah. yeah, and along those lines, you know, just to, to kind of bring it back around, whenever you have those smaller areas, those more focal areas on the, on the outside of the map where there's just one or two positives here and there, it is at a low prevalence, but it's highly manageable. It's not been on the landscape for a long time in those areas, right. and so it's, it's something we can do to help prevent the spread of the disease in those areas. Yeah. Guys, I appreciate it. A lot of good information. Sounds like we're going to be able to come back and do another one of these soon. And once we hear about the other possibilities for this next season, right? Um, it's a, it's been a full year. We now have a better understanding of it. You got to wrap up for us before we head out. Yeah, well, it's great that we have a better understanding of CWD in Tennessee. We've got an opportunity and some new tools uh, that we're considering to improve the circumstances and just appreciate the hunters' uh, partnership with us and yeah. helping us get samples and be better informed and keeping us up to date on what issues they're facing. We certainly want to help out in every way we can because we certainly need them. To, to be successful in this, we've, we've, we've got to work closely in partnership with them. So we appreciate their efforts. Awesome. 
I appreciate you guys for being here, helping us uh, get the make sure the public's informed, make sure they know what's going on. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today. Make sure you get out there and chase some turkeys. Hey, I got one last thing I want to okay. say. I'm really proud of how the TWRA staff have risen to the occasion on CWD. It's been a remarkable effort. Man, they've done some great work, so appreciate awesome. them too. They are great. They do great work. All right. A turkey season is uh, April 4th through May 17th. Four bearded birds, one per day, and the youth can get out there uh, weekend early on the 28th, March 28th, 29th. So uh, get out there and enjoy turkey season. They'll be here before you know it. Yeah, I'll be out there. All right. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next time on Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week.